What's up, Cedar Creek? <laughs> it is so great to have all of you joining us today. And whether you're doing that in person at one of our campuses or online, I'm just glad you're here wherever here happens to be for you today. And believe it or not, we are actually in the last week of our No Greater Love journey. And, you know, for the last month and a half, we as a church have been exploring uh, uh, an often ignored aspect of love, and that is sacrifice. We, we tend to think of love as an emotion, right? Uh, how we feel about or toward someone. But what we're discovering is love is not simply an emotion. It's actually a verb. Love is something we do. Love is less about how we feel about somebody and more about what we're willing to do for somebody, to sacrificially put their needs above our own. And the reason I say that about love is because that's what Jesus said. And he said it very clearly in these verses that have been guiding us in this series in John 15, 13. Jesus says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. In other words, the, the measure of our love is best seen in the level to which we are willing to sacrificially serve others. So over these last couple of weeks, what we've been doing is focusing on the how-to of sacrificial service, like practical ways to put this into practice. And we've been looking at examples of individuals who express their love for God and their love for others through sacrificial service. And we've been unpacking what they could teach us. We started with Abraham and, and learned from him practical ways to sacrifice what is most important in our lives. And then we looked at Moses and we learned practical ways to sacrifice our excuses. And, and then we looked at that beautiful story of Ruth and Naomi who taught us how we could still sacrifice in the midst of our own uncertainty and struggles. And then last week we walked through the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and we discovered practical ways to live in the faith that is required to make these kinds of sacrifices. So now to wrap this whole thing up, I want to switch gears a little bit. I want to kind of move from the how-to to the why behind sacrificial service. Why do we sacrificially serve others? Where does this come from? What is the source of it? And where do we get the strength to do this well? And there's two big reasons why the why matters. One is because when it comes to sacrificially serving, motivation matters. The reason behind why you're doing it, because if we're honest, I guarantee you for all of us, there are times when we serve others because of what it means or does or causes us to feel. We serve because of how it makes us feel, or we serve because of what it will cause others to think and say about us. Some of us sacrificially serve because we are motivated by some sense of religious duty, right? Like I, I have to serve in order for God to approve of me and love of me. In other words, we see sacrificial service as a route to a relationship with Jesus 
rather than the result of a relationship that already exists. So the why behind service matters because motivation matters, but the why also matters because you got to know where your strength comes from. To sacrificially serve others requires the strength of Jesus, not your own. I mean, sure, you can sacrificially serve others in your own strength, but you cannot do it effectively or long-term in your own strength. You will always eventually burn out or run out of energy. That's why the Bible tells us in 2 Peter 1.3 that it is by his, by God's divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. And I love the fact that Peter wrote those words because Peter knew this truth not just intellectually, but in his heart, in his reality. Because if you look at Peter, the whole first part of his life, the three years that he was following Jesus, Peter was all about showing love for Jesus in his own strength, his own commitment. He was always stepping out to, to serve and try to make Jesus happy. But because he was doing it in his own strength, he almost always fell flat on his face. It was Peter's own strength in the Garden of Gethsemane that caused him to risk his own life to protect Jesus, and then a few hours later to be cowering by a campfire, swearing that he never even knew Jesus. See, that's what happens when you try to serve out of your own strength. You, you may do some good, but you're going to be up and down in your own strength. But then you look at the second half of Peter's life, after the resurrection, after the Holy Spirit, the power of God comes into his life, you see a man depending on that power and sacrificially serving all the way to literally giving his own life for Jesus. That's why it matters where the source comes from. See, my point is it is only, only because of Jesus' ultimate, ultimate sacrifice on our behalf that we are actually able to sacrificially serve God by serving others. And so I believe the more you know and the more you really understand Jesus' sacrifice for you and the humility that, requ that was required for Jesus to do what he did on the cross, the more you tap into that, the more you're going to be able to tap into God's power to live a life of sacrificial service. And so what I want to do today is look at a really great picture of the humility of Jesus. And this, this is found in the New Testament book of Philippians. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, we're in Philippians chapter 2. That's where we're going to be today. And if you don't know much about the Bible, the New Testament book of Philippians is actually a letter. It's a personal letter written by a guy named Paul that we refer to as the Apostle Paul. And it's written to a small group of Christians living in the Greek city of Philippi. And this letter was written about 60 years after Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and return to heaven. And the reason it's important for you to know that is to understand that these Philippian Christians, just like us, never actually saw Jesus in the flesh. 
right? They didn't get to see him walking around Jerusalem. They didn't get to see the incredible power and at the same time the incredible humility with which he wielded that power. All they knew, they had just heard stories and testimonies from others. They had not seen it in person. And so it affected how they live with one another. Because in their world, humility was not a virtue. It was a slippery slope to disaster in your life. To live humbly, to put yourself under with the needs of others could lead you into what they would consider was not a good life. Look, the Philippians were very familiar with serving. They were surrounded by people who served every day, every waking moment of their life. They served not because they were called to or wanted to. They served because they had to. You know, I've told you before, in the first century, over half the people living in the Roman Empire were either slaves or indentured servants, right? People who had to serve because they had no power. And because of that, for these Philippians, they thought the goal of life was to be the one being served. You certainly didn't want to be the one who had to do the serving. So it created this tension within the church. They would kind of step on one another, try to one-up one another, all these power plays. And so Paul wants to address that issue, that lack of humility within the church, and he does it not by putting them on blast. He does it by painting for them a picture of the humility of Jesus and the incredible power that humility brings. And so as we unpack this picture that Paul paints of Jesus' humility, it gives us four steps on the path of developing humility in our lives. Four things we need to learn about humility. One is the first step on the path to true humility is you gotta start with your thoughts. Humility has to start with your thoughts. Humbly serving others does not start with my hands and feet. It starts with the way I think, the way I think about myself and the way I think about others. You've heard that old adage, right? Sow a thought, reap a deed. Sow a deed, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a lifestyle. Sow a lifestyle, reap a destiny. But it all starts with the thoughts. And so does humility. That's why I notice how Paul starts out, verse 5. Paul says, in your relationships with each other, have the same what? What's that word? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. What is that word? The same mindset as Christ Jesus. I looked up that word mindset, and according to the Google, the word mindset means an established pattern of thoughts or beliefs that dictate behavior. An established pattern of thinking. Not single random thoughts that come every now and then, but the core thoughts of your mind. That's what your mindset is. What is your mindset? What are those established patterns of thoughts that you have about yourself? How do you think about you. I think for some of us, if we were honest, we don't think very good thoughts about ourselves. 
We're, we're kind of like Eeyore in Winnie the Pooh, right? We're just kind of looking at ourselves. I'm not much of a donkey. I'm a bad person. Nobody loves me. Or we see ourselves through our struggles, right? We think, well, you know, I'm just an alcoholic, or I'm just depressed, or I just have anxiety, or I just have this, or I'm just divorced, or whatever. We, some of us tend to see ourselves. The mindset about ourselves is not good. But listen, humility... And negative self-thoughts are not the same thing. I love what Pastor Rick Warren says. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is just thinking of yourself less, right? Now, some of you are maybe on closer to the other end of the spectrum. Your mindset, your pattern of thoughts about yourself is usually, I'm right, everybody else is wrong, people need to figure out, you know, if everybody just thought like me, the world would be a better place, I got it going on, we're all somewhere in that mindset of ourselves, what's yours, what's your mindset when it comes to other people, how do you most often think about other people around you, do you see them as a barrier, an inconvenience, they're getting in the way of you getting what you want? Some of you see the other people in your life as the scorecard of your life. You look at other people and compare yourself, better or worse, successful or not successful. We, we use the people around us, our mindset as we see them as the scorecard of how we are doing. I don't know how you see yourself or how you see others. I just know that how you see yourself and how you see others will ultimately determine the level of your sacrificial service. It starts with your thoughts. Does the name Mike Singletary ring a bell with anybody? Mike Singletary? Yeah, I noticed the men, right? Mike Singletary was an all-pro Hall of Fame linebacker for the Chicago Bears when the Chicago Bears were a really good football, the true terrors of the midway. What you may not know is that while Mike Singletary was with the Chicago Bears, he and his wife and his family were members of a church outside of Chicago, a church called Willow Creek. And in the off-season, Mike served at his campus on his church on Sunday mornings. Do you want to know what his service was at his campus on Sunday mornings, how he served? He cleaned the toilets between services. That was his job, to go to the bathrooms between the services, to straighten up, clean up, make sure they were good for the next group of people coming in. Why in the world would a wealthy, influential, would somebody who has everything in this life, why would he serve by cleaning toilets? He was asked that question, and his answer is fascinating. He said, when I look at the cross and the humility of Jesus and the sacrifice he made on my behalf, how could I ever think I'm too good to stoop to cleaning toilets? See, your mindset, how you see yourself, how you see Jesus and what he's done for you. This week I was reminded of a hymn I used to hear when I was a kid growing up in church. I don't know the name of it. I don't know all the verses of it, but I know the very first verse. It said, when I survey the wondrous cross, 
on which the prince of glory died. My richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Humility starts with our thoughts, our mindset, but it doesn't stop there. There's a second step on the path to true humility, and that's I got to let go of self. I have to let go of self. What do you think of when you hear that phrase? What does it mean to you to really just let go of yourself? Maybe some of you are thinking, you know, just kind of freewheeling, uninhibited. You don't care, you know, just letting it all hang out. Maybe that's what it means to you to let go of self. Maybe some of you are thinking, you know, be a little less selfish or or live a little more open-handed. I would imagine those of you that have been around Cedar Creek Church for a while probably thinking of that phrase, it's not about me, because we use that verbiage often. But I want you to look at Paul's description of how Jesus let go of self. Verse 6, Paul says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Did you catch that? In other words, letting go of self is not about being less than who you are. It's just not using who you are for your own advantage. See, Jesus didn't give up his divinity in order to stoop to sacrifice. In fact, he had to be fully divine, all God, in order for his death on the cross to provide forgiveness for our sins. So he didn't have to become less than. He just wasn't using what he had for his own advantage. When I think about that, I think about a word that we hear often in our culture. It is the word privilege. Do do you hear that some, this idea of, you know, there's two groups of people in America. They're the privileged and the oppressed. And there's this idea that if you are in the privileged category, you can't really understand what it's like to be oppressed. And unless you get rid of that privilege or apologize for that privilege or lay down that privilege, you really can't help or make any difference. And look, I understand that because of the privilege in my life, I cannot understand what your life has been like. But the truth is none of us can understand what each other's lives have been like. And so I don't believe there's just privilege and oppressed. I believe for all of us, there are parts of our life in which we are privileged, and there are parts in our lives where we are oppressed. And I believe what the Bible teaches is the purpose of our privilege is not for our own advantage, but to stand up for, serve, and give our lives away for those around us who are oppressed. That's what Jesus did in his humility. My favorite example of Jesus leveraging his privilege for the oppressed people around him is when he cleared the money changers out of the temple courts. Any of you remember that story where he's turning over the tables, he's making a whip? And we love to use that story to justify our own anger, right? Jesus got angry, so it's okay for me to be angry. But that misses the context of what's happening here. You understand that event, the clearing of the temple, 
took place on Palm Sunday, the real Palm Sunday, where Jesus rides into Jerusalem to a parade, and his popularity is peaked. Everybody loves him. Everybody's in Jesus' camp, so much so that he is bulletproof. The religious leaders can't touch him. Not even the Roman soldiers are wanting to touch him, right, because the people will rebel. He's got unbelievable privilege in this moment, and do you know what Jesus does with that privilege? He uses it to defend and protect the poor, the oppressed. You understand that was the problem with the money changers and the vendors, right? It wasn't the fact that they were turning the Lord's house into, you know, a marketplace. It's they were taking advantage of the poor. They were price gouging. These money lenders and vendors were doing the same thing that Disney World does with their concession stands. You know what I'm talking about? Like $9 for a $2 Coke, right? And so rich people didn't have a problem. They brought their own animals. But poor people had to buy animals or they had to exchange their coins in order to put, you couldn't put Roman money in the offering basket in the temple. So they had these ridiculous hiked prices. And Jesus uses his popularity and this moment not for his own advantage, but for the advantage of others. That's the heart of letting go of self. What privileges do you have that could be used to help serve others? That's the call of Jesus and the example. Number three, the third step on the path to true humility is you got to seek to serve. You got to seek to serve. As you develop this humble mindset, as you let go of yourself, God will begin to open doors to opportunities for you to sacrificially serve others. And when he does, it will be so obvious that you are the right person in the right place at the right time to stoop and serve someone else. I love what Paul does in verses seven and eight. Paul is gonna walk us through three levels of Jesus' humility. Check it out. Paul says he, talking about Jesus, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself even more by becoming obedient to death. And not just any old death, but death on a cross, the worst, most difficult, most painful death known to man. You see what Paul does there? Paul takes us from the incarnation to the crucifixion in one sentence. See, Paul starts with the humility of the incarnation. And if you don't know what that word means, that's a fancy 50-cent theological term for the fact that God became flesh and lived here among us. That's the incarnation, that, that God is not just some representative of God, or you know, Jesus is not just some messenger of God. He is God among us. Now listen, the idea of God walking around among us, not new to these Philippians. Right? You know the Greek mythology. Their religion was that gods were on the earth all the time. There are all kind of these gods walking around on the earth. And so for Paul to say just God came to earth and walked around, they'd be like, yeah, 
just like all the other gods. Paul says, look, but the God, unlike your little G gods, didn't just humble himself and become flesh, but he came to be a servant. He didn't come like your gods to be served. He came to serve. He took on the very nature of a servant. And as if that is not enough, all the way Jesus went to the ultimate sacrifice of his life on our behalf. Now, people, that is a whole nother level of humility and sacrificial service. Look, obviously, you're not the Messiah. You are not called to die for the sins of others. Although some of us have a little bit of a Messiah complex when it comes to serving. Not that you think you're God, but sometimes you think anytime there is a need that you're the only one who can meet that need. Like everything you see, you know, I got to serve here, I got to serve there. This person has need, right? And you're running around burning yourself out. You know, you're like vanilla ice. If there's a need, yo, I'll serve it right? But that, isn't that really just a veiled form of pride and self-centeredness? Like you're the only one knows how to do this. You're the only one God can use. You're the only faithful servant God has. No, right? You're called as a Christ follower to serve, but you need to seek the when, the where, the how, to serve. I can't do that for you. I can't give you some secret formula or some test to take. You got to wrestle that puppy to the ground in your relationship with Jesus daily. Every time you see a need, every time there's an opportunity, you got to seek to serve. And then finally, number four, and this is so important, the fourth step on the path to true humility is you got to let God lift you up. You've got to let God lift you up. Paul closes this picture of Jesus' humility with a reminder that it is God who lifts us up and it is God who gets the glory when we serve. Notice verses 9 through 11. Paul says this about Jesus. Therefore, God exalted him, lifted him up to the highest place, And gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and even under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then check this out. To the glory of God the Father. Two takeaways from that passage. Please don't miss this because this is so important in your journey of sacrificial serving. One, never forget that the benefits... And the blessing of serving others come from God, not from those that you serve. And the reason you got to recognize this is because that if you are serving people because they'll be grateful, because they'll affirm you, because, you know, they'll always be glad you did it, you're going to be disappointed. If you're serving for the affirmation of others, there'll never be enough affirmation. There will be people you serve who will not even recognize that you sacrificed to serve them. They will rarely be thankful or grateful. Don't look for the benefits and the blessing in serving from those you serve. Look to it from the one who sees every deed done in secret. 
who knows our hearts. The second thing, and this is huge, sacrificially serving others is about giving glory to God. Not ourselves, not a, we don't We don't sacrificially serve to make much of us. We don't sacrificially serve to make much of the name of Cedar Creek Church. We serve to point people to the name who is above every name because he can meet every need they have, not you. That's why Jesus said, let your light shine among men so that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Whose glory are you serving for? Whose affirmation are you seeking when you serve? Whose gratitude are you hoping to get when you serve? Because being humble like Jesus means you got to let God lift you up and you got to always give him the glory. But church, let me tell you this. When we live and serve like that, there is truly no greater love. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I I thank you for this incredible picture of the humility and the sacrifice you have made on our behalf. And I thank you, God, that you inspired Paul to write these words, not only to be read by this Philippian church, but to be read by us so that we can find that truth and anchor our mindset to you, to see the way you see, to stop looking at ourselves as less than and stop looking at ourselves as more than and just look to you as all we need. And I thank you, Father, of this reminder that we gotta let go of self we got to stop looking at the blessings and privileges that we have in life as for our benefit and recognize them that you've called us to use them for the advantage of others. And I thank you, Jesus, for this reminder that it's all about you. It's all about you. Because it's only in pointing people to you that the deepest need they have can ever be met. And that's for a transformed, born again, brought back to life, resurrected heart, which is what you've created each of us for. So Jesus, help us live this stuff out by the power of your spirit. In your name we pray, amen.